You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to Little Me Growing Up Broadway. My guest today certainly grew up on stage. He appeared on Broadway as Chip in Beauty and the Beast, as Nick Burns in A Thousand Clowns opposite Tom Selleck, and as Malcolm in Hollywood Arms, directed by Hal Prince, all before the age of 12. His other credits include appearances on the Jerry Lewis Telethon, The View, The Today Show, Sally Jesse Raphael, and twice on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. He originated the role of Oscar on Discovery Kids' Kenny the Shark and has starred in dozens of national television commercials. He's performed with Liza Minnelli as her opening act from 2002 to 2012. His albums 19 on Another Note and the just-released Acts 1 has is available everywhere you stream music. Please welcome Nicholas Kang. Hello, hello. I kind wow. of watched that a little bit, but we're... <laughs> an intro. That is an intro. I'm thinking, my, where do you get all that from? Wow, you did do your research. I did some research. Nicholas, thank you for being here. Oh, thank um, you so much for asking me. I have done such a big Nicholas deep dive in the last 48 hours. Which is a scary thought. It's but... not scary. You are so fabulous. And <laughs> I work with kids for a living, and you may be the cutest kid that has ever existed ever <laughs> in the in the history of time. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure you heard that many times in your in your lifetime. Oh, goodness. You're, you're very kind. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. Um, all right. Let's look, go back to the beginning. I want to talk about your grandmother, Angela Bakari. Am yeah. I saying her? I'm saying her last name. Yes, night. you got it. That's She's right. an incredible singer, entertainer, and there is no doubt was a huge influence on where your career has gone. But I want to hear from you. Sort of tell me about being this little kid around this larger-than-life cabaret star. Well, I, I mean, you know, it's... It's funny. It's my grandmother, you know, we're talking about. And and when when you think about most kids going over to their grandmother's houses, you know, what do they do? They bake pie. You know, they <laughs> they do crafts. They watch TV or whatever they, they normal kids do with their grandparents. My grandmother was working. So my grandmother would put me in their back seat and, you know, give me a juice box and say, all right, kid, we're off and would take me to her gigs, you know. And so I would I'd go and sit with her you know, on the bandstand while she'd be working, I'd be sitting next to, you know, the trombone player or the bass player, or whatever, and chatting it up and just finding this whole world. So fascinating, you know, it was just, it was just so, um, so easy, you know, to, to talk to, to these people and to hear this music all the time. It was something that I just became so accustomed to. And, and when I would hang out with other kids with their grandparents, you know, I'd be like, you know, what, what'd you guys, you know, they, we'd say, what did you guys do this weekend? Oh, you know, we did we're on a hike. We did this. What'd you do? Went, well, I don't, we went up to the Catskills and <laughs> watched my grandmother do a gig. And then she would start, she would uh, take me out uh, onto the stage once in a while. She, I'd be in like my little tuxedo and I'd come out and I'd do a number or whatever. And so to me, it was, it was such a, such a part but of, this is like you being four and five years old. This isn't like this is being like 
three and three oh and four God. years old. Yeah, this is really tiny. I mean, these are some of my earliest memories of life. Yeah, you know, are with her and uh, and my aunt as well. My aunt, uh, my my grandmother's other daughter, my mom's sister Lisa, who's a, another terrific singer, and she had a, she had a band as well. So depending on who was babysitting Nicholas at the time, <laughs> I would I would show up at that you know at that gig, and that's that was sort of my uh, that was my babysitting time. <laughs> and were your parents musical at all? No, and I think that's very interesting. My my mother's very musically inclined. I think uh-huh. it's it's in the genes. But my father couldn't carry a tune in a suitcase. So uh, you know, but I I, I have to say, being in in a family full of musicians, I'm incredibly grateful that my my parents are the two particular ones that are not in show business at all. That had no interest in it. Uh, could take it or leave it. Are very supportive of it, but they don't need it to survive. Type type thing. And I think that that. Uh, is something that I'm very grateful for now as an adult, you know, looking back and going, wow, I appreciate having that balance, having an aunt and a grandmother who are all show business and having a mother and father who are not, not. you know, it just, it made for a nice, a nice balance. You know? So the age of five, you have a very big moment. You're on the Sally Jesse Raphael show in one of the <laughs> cutest yes. clips I've ever seen. You sing cabaret, don't rain on my parade mashup. Like, you know, most yes. five-year-olds yeah, are yeah. doing in Typical. the littlest like tuxedo <laughs> ever. Um, how did that come about? How did you get on that show? I mean, tell me about that experience. So uh, back to my parents, um, when they were, uh, when I was little, you know, and I had all this combustible energy, I was just, you know, running around the house singing, you know, every lyric to the uh, Liza Minnelli at Carnegie Hall record. Um, and I'm you know, assuming they- your grand, who, who like introduced you to that? Believe it or not, my, my mom and dad. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, of course, I I had heard some of those songs from my grandmother by that time, yeah. you know. But no, it was my my parents sent away for uh for a, a thing on Barney, I think, on PBS, and it came with a Liza Minnelli <laughs> cassette tape. Well, little did they know that pretty soon Barney would be in the trash and Liza would be in the, in the VCR. And this is what I'd be watching, and I just I I fell in love with it. You know, it's that the, the sound and the brass and the you know just the excitement and all that stuff was a sound as a three year old, like two and three year old. I just was I latched onto. Um, so I had all this energy, and I was you know imitating what I saw with my grandmother and my aunt, and in my living room putting on shows to myself and and the four thousand people in my mind. And uh, then my parents got the idea. They said, "Well, you know, there's this little competition thing happening in New York City." Uh, that we're from Rhode Island. So they said, well, why don't we go for the, you know, wait for the weekend and, you know, we'll enter Nicholas in the concert. He can get dressed up in his little tuxedo and, you know, we'll go away for the weekend. We'll have a little family outing. It'll be fun. And we did. And they entered me and I won and they were completely sort of taken back by it. And by the, you know, 85, you know, agents that attacked them after the show. Of course, yeah. And uh, they were like, well, look, this is not really what we came here to do. We kind of just came here just to, you know, let Nicholas get his wiggles out, so to speak, and have a little family weekend in, you know, in the big city. And uh, so anyway, that, that was sort of how that ball got rolling. And before long, you know, I was, I was signed to an agent w- within the month. And uh, this, this was one of the jobs that the, the agent got me to, uh, go to, on to, to do, to do, to do because they put out a, a big request looking for showbiz kids and you know uh i was brand new to the roster so uh, i was added to that to that show and what do you remember about performing that i mean i'm sure some of the memory is your memory and some is from re-watching it but what what do you think you remember 
Well, I actually, I do have a very interesting memory attached to this. And my mother might murder me if I, if she knows that I'm going to tell the story, but it's history now. And there's nothing that anyone can do to her. They can't send her to prison now. So it's okay. So what happened was I was a very sickly kid and uh, I, I, I had double pneumonia at this particular time and a double ear infection. And so I was on double antibiotics to try to keep me alive, you know, and, um, what had happened was we were in the limousine getting ready to go to rehearsal and I'm on a lot of, you know, medication and, uh, being five years old, I was an apple juice fiend. And so being a good mother, my mom decides to water down the apple juice. Like you do just so that the kid doesn't have too much sugar. So we're in the limousine and my mom takes what, what appears to be water in the limousine and puts it into my sippy cup. No. And I, oh, oh, I know where we're going. Oh, you know where we're going with this. And I just chugged the thing and I get to the rehearsal. And from what they tell me, I was, uh, you know, it was a little, I remember being like, uh, like I'm, I have a memory of laying on the floor and like touching that indoor outdoor gr- gray carpeting on the stage. Uh-huh. And like, like, why was I on the floor? I don't understand why I was on the floor, but anyway, I was apparently giggling and I was rolling around and I was all silly and stuff. And, uh, I really wasn't paying attention. And I remember the stage manager sort of taking my, my hand, uh, her hands, you know, around my face and going, you have to pay attention, honey. You have to pay attention. Honey. And I was like, well, I am. I, I remember being like a little bit confused. Long story short, we get back into the limousine to go back to the hotel, to change whatever before the taping. And uh, my mom goes to pour me some more apple juice. And the little girl next to her says, wait, 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 what, what are you doing? And she says, oh, I'm, I'm watering down his, his apple juice. And she goes, that's not water, Christina. That's vodka. Great. So you were drunk at rehearsal for so Sally Jesse was, Raphael with a I double was, ear infection. <laughs> I was stoned basically because I'm on that and I'm on, I'm oh on you know, I'm on antibiotics, you know. So I am. Fl- so my memory of that is I'm just flying. I just, I had so much energy. I felt, you know, like Superman on that thing. Like Valley of the Dolls. Over oh here. yeah. Oh, precisely. And uh, the bet, the funniest part is my mother felt absolutely terrible. You know, she called poison control. She was, I mean, cause my mother is not that type of a, <laughs> of a stage parent. I, mean, I stretch the imagination. <laughs> So she just felt so terrible, but that's my memory is being, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, tipsy, uh, uh, on the Sally Jesse Raphael show. Oh my God. I'll Isn't that terrible? I'm going to rewatch so that, it under the lens that that child is yes, drunk. Yes, um, I know. And that's the only time that anything like that ever happened, which is probably not good for this podcast. I no, it's like actually not, great. Because I, a good had you grown up to be like a drunk performer, it would have been really sad. But since you started <laughs> as like a drunk stone performer, now you're like this great sober, like, you know, jazz singer. I, I pulled like a, you know, like a Drew Barrymore. It was you know. a little opposite. Okay. Yeah. So you book a lot of commercials as a little kid. Lunchables, uh, Carvel, Kicks. Like, and I watched your commercial reel today and they're all commercials I remember like that are singed into my brain. I mean, these were oh, that's big. That's funny really big. Um, I lost my tooth today. I started my school play. Like yeah. that, everyone's going to remember that. So that well, was, and you know, you. who's in that, yeah. you know, who's Who? in that was, uh, with, is a uh, Hayden Panettiere is, oh is the little blonde girl in that. That's so funny. And Spencer Breslin is the other kid. So, and these were all kids. I mean, we were all, we all auditioned yeah. together on, on everything, you know, Spencer and I had a similar look evidently when we were kids. So we were put on all the same auditions. And Lunchables was like your big, big commercial that kind of, was that, would you say the biggest one or something else bigger? I think so. I mean, the thing is, I mean, I don't remember it being that, that big, you know, it's, it's only big to me now because people tell me that they remember it. You know, when, I think when you're six years old, you don't really have a, a concept for how, for, you know, national uh, airplay, you know, and, and what does it mean, you know, that you're having a national television commercial, you know, you see it once in a while. 
you know, uh, but I wasn't really home watching TV, you know, I was at work. And so I, I never really had a chance <laughs> to sit back and watch them a lot. And it wasn't until quarantine, Mark, that I actually sat down with some of my old, you know, going through old scrapbooks and stuff. I found one of my old resumes and I, I'm not kidding. There's at least 10 or 12 on there that I completely forgot that I ever did like Papa Gino's and KFC and, and Taco Bell and like all these things. I went, I, Papa oh God, Gino's? Are, you so, like, are you so rich? God, no. I, wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> um, but it's very cool. So obviously you're working. How did your parents handle that you were like this working kid or were your you know grandmother, was she helping schlep you to all those these callbacks and auditions and things? Yeah. Well, between my, <clears throat> between my mother and my, my grandmother, primarily my father, uh, kept a, a local business in our town in Rhode Island that he was, you know, he worked at, he owned a restaurant. So he was pretty occupied with that. Uh, but, um, you know, my mother would primarily come and pick me up at school, you know, right about after lunch around one o'clock, she'd come get me and we'd take that two and a half hour drive into Manhattan. I'd have an audition and we'd make our, we'd just in and out, you know, two and a half hours in audition for 15 minutes, drive back, you know, and this was, this happened maybe two, three times a week you know, wow. for, for different stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I believe my parents, uh, from what they tell me and from how I know them to be, they, they've never had stars in their eyes. You know, they never were interested if I climbed a ladder, they just wanted me to have fun and enjoy it. And they never, they never wanted to be those parents that, you know, uh, stifled <clears throat> their child's creativity. And one day their the kids grow up to resent them, you know? And, uh, so they always felt, well, listen, as long as he's interested and wants to do this, he's the one dragging us to these auditions. It's not the other way around. That's the only way I think a kid can really be successful at it. You know, if yes. a kid does not want to do it, I mean, you can't, it's not going to happen. It's not no. going to happen. You, you could smell that the second they walk in the room Yeah, and yeah. They, they might book one job, but they certainly aren't going to book like 10 and right. Exactly. And we would get these auditions come in at like, you know, uh, noon time, I'd get the, the script and in that two and a half hour jaunt into the city, I would, I would, I'd memorize my, my part and stuff. And then I would end up memorizing the, the, the other people's parts. So this way, when they would mess up, I went, no, you see, you missed the line that's supposed to be and, and not the, you know, type stuff. Oh, my um, favorite kind of kid. <laughs> oh, no, just horrendous. But <laughs> let's talk about Beauty and the Beast. You get to make your Broadway debut in that magical musical and you play the role of Chip. Tell me about joining that cast. And I'm sure for a kid who loves performing, like this feels like as good as it can get, right? Yeah. And it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel special. You know, it just feels like this is what you have to do because this just makes the most sense Yeah, type thing. And I think that's the thing that I've always tried to, um, try to explain to other people because not everyone really quite gets that. You know, they always picture there's this epiphany moment of, oh, now I'm going to be, you know, a performer or now I'm going to be a doctor. You know, there, there was never a doubt <laughs> in my mind. That's, I just knew that's what I was going to do. So to me, it was, you know, you the next your, thing you did. Was yeah. Like you put your work boots musical. on. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love doing that show that, that show, uh, I auditioned for, and on the ride home, we got to as far as New Haven and the phone rang and it was my agent. And she said, well, you got, you got the part, you're moving to New York. <laughs> and, um, I, I was the, I, I actually, I just found this out. I was the longest running chip on Broadway. Oh my God. And I didn't, I didn't know this till about a, a couple months ago. How I'm long did you do it for? Uh, about a year. Got it. So you were not growing. <laughs> well, that's all that means. I was the shortest, the shortest kid for the longest you time. You still fit in the cart. Yeah. Well, this is the biggest irony, Mark, of all of it is that, you know, you had to be 48 inches to fit into that little box, you know, yeah. and I outgrew the part, which is funny because as a, as a full adult person, I am uh, at a whopping five, two. All right. So if I'm you also know, in the little Italian club, I'm five. Six okay. Half, so you, so. so you get it. Oh, I but you're it. five, six. 
I don't feel bad for you. I know, but I took growth hormone for like all of ninth grade to get to five, six. I would have been. Did you? Yeah, I would have been like five, three is what they said. And then they started shooting me up. Not as for another podcast. If I had a Patreon, I would explain that on Patreon. Oh, that's funny. Well, that just, I just think it's the biggest irony of my life that I was told I was too tall for, I was too tall for the role. I figured, well, that's the last time I'm ever going to hear that. Oh my God. So you did Beauty and the Beast for a year. Who was in it when you did it? Who were like some of the highlights? Oh, well, Andrew McArdle was, was my, was my bell and, um, just, I mean, just the absolute best, you know, she was, uh, she is, and, and was just a, just an, an, an incredible actress and, uh, just a fun person, absolutely crazy. And I think she and I just connected on, on that, on that level, you know, um, she, Sarah Litzinger was her understudy. Sarah Litzinger was was the understudy. She was amazing. She was like the best bell ever. She was really, yeah. really fantastic. Well, I, you know, what's really funny. What the older I got and the more I saw it, uh, I, of course, you know, you compare everybody to your, to your first, you know, to the first person <laughs> who you think is supposed to be Bell. But when I saw everyone else play Bell, yes, Sarah Litzinger was brilliant. Um, and there were a couple others that were really, really fantastic that I loved to watch. But what Andrea brought to that role was a, a level of sexiness that you don't see in a Disney princess, yeah, you know, you see this innocence, you know, but you know, and I saw Andrew do it because Andrew was the longest running bell on Broadway as well. And I got to see her do it many times after I was out of the part, but she, she brought this level of, of sex appeal to bell, which was, you know, this very interesting uh, nuance, I think to that character that to me just makes her my, my, my favorite because she, she brought such a different uh, layer to that character. It really feels like as a kid that, and I was probably a similar way. Like I really connected more with adults than other kids. So to be <coughs> oh, in a yeah. show like on Broadway and doing eight shows a week and being in the building, and there's yeah. only other really one other boy around, like everyone else right. is an adult. Right. I'm sure that that cast really was, you know, like soaked you guys in. What oh, do you remember 100%. about becoming part of that Broadway family? That family in particular was probably one of the best casts I, I could have ever been in. Uh, Patrick Page was, was my Lumiere. Um, wow. Steve Blanchard, of course, was was the beast. And actually, the kid that I shared the role with at one particular point uh, was Ricky Ashley, super smart kid, went on to become like a doctor, uh, something ridiculously mm-hmm. smart. Uh, another kid who I shared the role with uh, went on to become the, the the originator of the voice of Boots and Dora the Explorer. Right. You know, so we had all those little, yeah. sharing those little moments. And then uh, eventually, uh, uh, Nick Jonas was the one who replaced me, which wow. was really, which was really obnoxious to yeah, go, sorry. God, you know, Lord in heaven. But, uh, uh, but it, no, it was, it was so much fun because they, they, um, you know, I think there's such a level of respect, I think for, for kids that are, like you were saying, the kids that are dragging the parents to the auditions. I think that, that as actors too, we can tell when the kids are just there to fulfill a part or fulfill a role or when they're really there. Cause they want to be there and they love it. And I think because I gave that, because that was so apparent with me, I really connected a lot with, with a lot of the cast members, you know, they, they treated me like an equal as opposed to the kid in the show. They really, they, they treated me like one of their contemporaries. And, and uh, also you were born at 40 years old. So like, I'm sure was, they were having like great yeah. conversations with you. Yeah. I was born a middle-aged kid. So, you know, <laughs> um, don't, <laughs> did the Jay Leno, the first appearance on Jay, Lo, Jay Leno come out of that time while you were in Beauty and the Beast? How did that first Jay Leno appearance that is very historically hilarious, which we're going to talk about in a second, but I want to know how you got there. So my local newspaper ran an article that, you know, local Rhode Island kid, you know, gets on Broadway and evidently the Tonight Show crew winds up scouring the, the, uh, the, the local newspapers for interesting topics. And they found, they came across that and they thought, oh, an eight-year-old making his Broadway debut, that might be interesting. So they reached out to me and, um, 
the way that the, that the Tonight Show worked for that in particular was they waited because I'm not I'm I'm not a household name. They waited till they could uh, put me on an episode where they thought would complement the other guests. So the very first episode that I was slated to be on was with John Bon Jovi and. I forget who else. <clears throat> and I was really excited because I was a big Bon Jovi fan as, as a kid. So I was like, oh my God, I get to be John Bon Jovi. And then it didn't happen. They canceled it. They said, well, we don't think you're the right match. We're going to bump you you know, another two weeks later with someone else. And then that was supposed to happen. And that got bumped. And I thought, well, gee, I'm never going to get on this show. you know. And of course it sucks because you're trying to give Broadway enough notice to say, by the way, I'm going to be gone for, gone for, for three days. Three days. You, know, uh, you know, But of course, Tonight Show doesn't care about that. So they finally put me on with this with this uh, you know uh, lineup of Brian McKnight and Tom Selleck, and of course my mother and grandmother and every female in my family got very excited that I was going to be on with Tom Selleck, and you know of course we were not holding our breath until it did, and they said this is going to be the one we're we're booking the tickets. So I flew out on the third attempt to be on the on the Tonight Show, and uh, that's that's how I got to. It was supposed to be uh, a minute and a half interview. So a 90 second interview and a 60 second song, and it turned into like eight and a half minute segment all, all in all, because, you know, Mark, us, us little Italian children are quite chatty. We have a lot to say. Um, and I just, I hit it off very well with Tom. Tom stayed on the couch. So it was, you know, I hit and it off Tom with him. Selleck's and Tom's going to come back into your life in a second. He will. I know, but this is, but this, this, is point, this is how this is cool so this is. Good. I know. So Tom Selleck is the guy sitting on the couch next to you when you come out and you wind up starring with him in a Broadway show. A but that's after, that's after three cancellations. I mean, imagine had I sat next to John Bon Jovi, I might've been on tour with him, you know, and everything would be different. <laughs> so um, Jay Leno asked you, you know, you're obsessed with Liza Minnelli and he asked you and you say yes. uh, that he asked if you ever met her and you say she was doing Minnelli on Minnelli and boy, was she fabulous. Yeah. And the audience goes crazy and your, your little hand and elbows like leaning on the, <laughs> Is she your favorite, well, numbers of hip replacements and knee surgery, you know? You're leaning on the desk like you have been on talk shows your whole life. Where well, is I that? Had. I mean, I know, but like, really, I mean, that level of comfort. Um, were you nervous at all? Tell me about like what's going on in your head. You're, yeah. No, <clears throat> no. no I, was, I wasn't nervous for, for a second. I mean, I think... I, I, you get nervous when you say something and people laugh because you're not really quite sure why. You know, as a kid, you know, I made a comment also about Liza's hip replacements and her knee surgeries, not knowing that you probably don't do that when you talk about other performers go, remember that time she broke her foot? You know, you just, you don't do that. But as a kid, you have no filter. Yeah. And, you know, and then when everyone starts cracking up, when I say, gosh, that poor lady having to sing and dance after all those hip replacements not getting how funny that is now I get it, but then you don't really understand and everyone starts cracking up and then, then you start to get a little bit self-conscious and you start to go, well, did I say something wrong? You know, was, was this, you know, and thankfully I didn't have a very large case of the self-conscious, you know, uh, reaction that particular evening. But I remember in that moment going, oh, did I say something wrong? You know, and there's a moment where I, I kind of look up and I'm looking for, for my parents because I'm trying to see where they're sitting because everyone's cracking up and I'm looking at, I'm trying to find them to go, was that all right? Did I, did I do, did I do it? Was that okay? 
was that, you know, so it was a little split second, but no, outside of that, I was, I was very comfortable. I didn't have any fear. I think if I did that now, I'd be a, a wreck. You know, when you I, watch I, yourself now do that, uh, what are you, what are you thinking? What do you think now looking back at that kid? I think that kid is fearless and I, and I'm, I love that. Yeah. I love the fearlessness and I, I know, I mean, I know I'm, I'm, I'm the same person, but I think, you know, the older we get, we, we build these little walls of, you know, we learn tact, we learn things of what we're supposed to say and when we're supposed to say it and when we're not supposed to say something. And I think I just love the fact that I was just so uninhibited, you know? Well, it is a hilarious appearance and if everyone needs to see it, it's on your, <laughs> you just posted a little bit on your Facebook. Right? I know I have to put up on YouTube. Actually. Yeah. We need, I need that whole, I want that whole eight minutes. Oh, I it's have, really funny. I have it's to see really it. <laughs> so how did a thousand clowns come to you with starring Tom Selleck? Did he remember you from that? Talk to me about how that second Broadway show came to you. So unbeknownst to me, obviously at the time, unbeknownst to everybody, Tom was at that moment when I was sitting on the couch, uh, in talks with Herb Gardner, the playwright for a revival of his show, a thousand clowns. And, uh, as soon as that was over, maybe about two or three weeks later, my my agent called Nancy Carson, fabulous uh, she's, children's agent. We've, we've done a spotlight episode. You can listen oh, she's, to Nancy she's the best. Carson's spotlight episode here on the Little Me podcast. <laughs> she's the best, and she she was she got me all that wonderful work, and you know we're still she's, very good friends to what this a day. Dream, yeah. So she calls and she goes, "Well, kid, uh, you know Tom Tom Selleck just called. He's looking for you." And I went, "Really?" And she's like, "Yeah, he, he wants to audition for this part." And I thought, okay. So I auditioned for the part. I happened to be out actually out in LA at the time and I auditioned out in LA for it. And I was, I was, wait a minute. I was nine. I was nine years old at the time for it. And the part was written for a 14 year old. So I was five years too young for it. <clears throat> they said, you're too young for the part. Sorry, but Tom requested you. That's why we felt we wanted to, to see you. But I didn't get the part. So I kind of, you know, left a little bit dejected. And about, you know, maybe four, three, four months later, they opted to not audition for kids in LA anymore because they they didn't find the, the kids. So they decided to go to New York and audition for kids. Well, she says, why don't you go and audition again? I went, I don't want to go again. They already saw me and I'm too, I'm too little for it. And they said, she said, just, just go. You just never know, you know, what's, what's going to happen. They switched casting, blah, blah, blah. So I go, I get a call back. You're still too young for the part, but we want to see you. And so I go to the callback and I get another callback and I fast, I'm going to fast forward to seven callbacks later. <sighs> and by the seventh callback, they said, well, we really like you, but you're really too little for the part. Uh, it would take some rewriting. The playwright's not sure. Can you come on audition for him? He's not well, he's ill. Can we audition for him in his apartment? At his penthouse apartment, Herb Gardner's sure. apartment on 72nd Street or whatever. And we all right, fine. So I go over to his, to his penthouse apartment and I audition for him in front of him. And he and uh, I remember him just looking at me, shaking his head. And I didn't know what that meant. You know, in retrospect, I learned that it meant that he couldn't believe that a young person could get his writing, evidently. So he uh he said, Well, I guess uh I guess we gotta rewrite the part. So we opened we 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 opened up in North Carolina. We took that show on the road for about six months, and then we wound up on Broadway in July of of uh, two thousand and one. And what was it like working with Tom Selleck? A dream, yeah. absolute dream. He's he's just the coolest. I mean, he is he's so uh, non. There's no drama. There's no issues. Uh, he is a consummate professional. He will run lines day or night. He is. I mean, he's really just. He just. He knows what he's doing, and he's calm. He's calm, assertive. Mm -hmm. He's very respectful. And we, we went through a couple and very funny. 
hilariously funny. We went, we had a couple snags toward the end of our run. Uh, we closed as a result of September 11th, along with 12 other shows that had closed record breaking, you know, uh, closures because of that, uh, tragedy. And because of our production company cutting corners, they were taking away and selling pieces of the set before we even closed. It was a little silly. And Tom had sort of just had it. He felt, you know, a bit, uh, you know, a bit, treated a little poorly and because he's such a gentleman he he did it in such a such a way i'll never forget it was on one of the last nights of our show and he uh instead of the stage manager giving the places call he gets on the microphone and he goes all right this is uh this is your places call this is your places call we'd like to let everyone know that if you'd like to get to the stage we wish you all the best but unfortunately our producers have removed the stairs so if you're on a floor with stairs, good luck getting to the stage. This is your place's call. And the whole theater just erupted in applause backstage because, you know, we just, we loved his, his gusto, you know? So just a funny guy, uh, really cool, sharpshooter, and uh, very, very warm. And you played the ukulele in that show and sang. Did you already know how to play the uke? No, but here's the fun part. My grandmother married a lovely Hawaiian man, not not long before that show began. So um, we we hired him for, for a hot minute to come and teach us how to play the ukulele. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> so it was it. lovely. I got to have my, my step-grandfather come in and teach us how to, how to play uh, play the uke. At this show. point, are you guys, your family, like living in New York City? How are you dealing with the, I mean, now you're kind of constantly working year after year on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, had, uh, I had an apartment uh, here in the city and uh, my father would come every weekend um, because my father had to, had the business back yeah. home. So he'd come every weekend. And then my schedule every, every single week for as long as I worked there was, we would do the shows, of course, Tuesday or Wednesday through Sunday. And then Sunday night, my mother would be at the stage door with the car packed up and off we'd go back to Rhode Island. And we would spend Monday all day home with, with dad and doing schoolwork. And then Monday night with the family. Tuesday morning, we would do a volunteer service, something in the community. And then Tuesday afternoon, we'd get in the car and off we'd go. And we'd, wow. we'd, be, and we'd be back in Manhattan in a you know, half hour call. And you were being 100% homeschooled? At this point, yes. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. And when did Hollywood Arms come to you? How much <laughs> longer was it after, after that? It was actually during the same period. Yeah, so it was some, like, I think they were right pretty much back to back. Somewhere around the stairs announcement, which tore the whole theater up. Uh, on one of our last performances, I, I got a knock on, on my dressing room door. And this is, this is I, I swear to you, this is how it happened. It sounds like it's out of an MGM movie, but it's, it's so real. A knock on my dressing room door, and it was Carol Burnett and Hal Prince together, standing in front of my... And I remember Stop looking at them right like, now. I can't handle it. I know. And I remember thinking, well, one of us must be in the wrong dressing room. I don't know. You're Clearly, you're looking for Tom. He's downstairs. You know, and they went, no, 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 we're looking for you. And because I was the type of 10-year-old that I was, I wasn't reading Harry Potter. I wasn't reading, you know, any of that stuff. I was reading autobiographies. And I had actually just finished Hal Prince's autobiography like that summer. Wow. So I knew exactly who he was. And I knew exactly, of course, who Carol of Burnett course. was. And I just was stunned. And Carol was so sweet and so lovely. And she says, look, honey, I know you're going to be out of a job soon. Um, but I've I'm writing a new play about, I've written a brand new play about my life. Uh, my daughter and I have written this play and uh, we want to, we want to do something with it. Hal's going to direct it. Um, what, uh, what do you think, Hal? We, I mean, we've got this part uh, of, of the neighbor girl, but maybe we can make it the neighbor boy. What do you think, Hal? And Hal went, oh my goodness, hundred percent. Would you, you want to do it? 
And I thought, well, no, Hal Prince and Carol Burnett, I'm really busy. I don't think I can, you know, I have a lot to do. Yes, of course I'll do it. Wait. Yeah. Oh my, my God, little, that's so wild. So you didn't so, have to go through this like big casting process for Hollywood. No, no. In fact, they, they rewrote the part, um, you know, to be from the girl neighbor to the boy neighbor. And I, I did, they did want me to read for it. Um, and so I read for it as soon as we closed for, for a thousand clowns. And within a few months we were, um, we were, uh, opening up in Chicago and then before long, actually just about a year later to that, to that meeting at the stage door of the Longacre theater, we were opening on Broadway, uh, at the court in, in Hollywood arms. This podcast is sponsored by ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this for the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com/easy. ramp.com/easy. r a m p.com/easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC Terms and Conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We were just having this conversation, if you listened to last week's episode with Lindsay Alley, about she was standing by for Donald Trump. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had this kind of mini conversation about how everything at Hollywood Arms should have gone a different way. We have Hal Prince, the greatest director of all time, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest stars that the entertainment industry has ever created. Um, And... And Linda Lavin starring in this this new Broadway play. And I mean, that has all the makings of being like an enormous hit. And yeah. it just did not go that way. What do you remember about that process or feeling like the show wasn't going in the direction that everyone was hoping? I think the problem with the show lied with the public. Okay. Because, you know, there's there's a stigma. When you hear the word Carol Burnett, what do you, what do you think of? You think comedy. Yeah. You think hilarious. You think the world's one of the world's funniest human beings who's ever lived. So when you hear a show about her life, you automatically assume there's going to be skits and Mr. Tudball and Mrs. Wiggins and, the you know, went with the wind and as the stomach turns and you're going to see little clips throughout her life and all this stuff. But the show was nothing to do with that. The show was about her life in a 10-year span from when they moved to Hollywood to right before she got on the Ed Sullivan show. And one of the last scenes is Donna Lynn getting ready to do Ed Sullivan, which was the big catalyst for her, which is what put, you know, Carol onto the Gary Moore show and then put her onto all these other things. And, you know, so this is the time frame right before Carol was famous. And much like any other human being's life, there's a lot of baggage. There's there's negativity, there's positivity, there's good you know, high points, there's low points. And I don't think that the public was was prepared 
to see a serious side uh, of Carol Burnett, to know where she came from. She came from two, uh, you know, very troubled parents who dealt, battled alcoholism. Uh, she, she battled a lot, you know, she had a lot to contend with. And I don't think the public was ready for that. I think they walked into the theater expecting, you know, to, to be. Have this hilarious instead, comedy. Right. And, and instead now they're walking away with a really touching and heartfelt show, but it wasn't what they were expecting. So I think there were a lot of mixed reviews because of people's expectations versus what they got. But again, the show was so well-written. I remember it really well and I loved it. And I was like, and I remember you, it was like, it really was a special piece of theater that should have had a a more successful life even after just I know. It all kind of got weirdly erased. It, does. it did. It did. I mean, the one one really fa- fabulous thing about it is that, uh, first of all, we all got to know each other and we all got to work with each other and, um, you know, keep friendships that we are, still have to this day. But another nice thing that's for the for the books is that Michelle Pock won the Tony Award for Best Actress. Yeah. And that's at least, you know, something nice. Like, okay, look, see, that did exist in, in the books. You know, it did make an impact. And she was, of course, genius in that show. Um, tell me about working with Hal Prince. What was that experience like for you? I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I mean, again, talk about someone who you would normally consider you would feel intimidated around, you know, um, and this was right about the age when I started to get that little feeling of like, oh, maybe I'm, you know, you start to feel a little bit more self-conscious, but he had such a way of making me feel, and not just me, I know everybody felt that way too, like it was a true collaborative effort. So when Hal worked with me on a scene, Hal didn't say, okay, do this and do it that way. And this is how you're going to do it. Hal sat down with me and go, okay, what, what do you, what do, what do you feel? You know, what's, what's, what seems to be the organic move here? Why are you doing that? What do you, what do you think is, you know, and I would give my opinion. I go, well, I don't think that it's, it should be done that way. I think he, I think what I really mean to be doing is X, Y, and Z. And he would go, huh, that's interesting. What, well, let's, let's try it that, that way. Go for it. So it was a very collaborative thing. And I think that that's, I mean, he gave me the space to create the character and to find him. He didn't tell me what to do. He, he helped me create it. Open the door. That's- he helped me open up the door and he, he gave me the space. He gave me the permission and gave me the space to, to do it. And I, that's something that I, I take with me now, you know, um, with, you know, deep in my heart now, now that he's gone, because, you know, you think of these brilliant people and Hal is such a legend. I mean, it just, there's not enough words for him, but you know, you think, I think that's sort of maybe the magic of why everything he created was so successful because he wasn't a tyrant. He wasn't this pill to work with. He was collaborative. He was interested and he was, he was a team player, you know? And I think that it was that little factor. And a Hal Prince play. I know that is incredible. Like no one, no matter what happens to you in your whole life, like that is the, I can die now. I know this is it. So coming out of this Hollywood Arms experience, what was starting to happen with your career? Did you feel like things were slowing down for you? I want to understand this transition from being a not working Broadway kid actor to becoming this sort of big jazz star and where that turn took. Well, it, it turned, but not because I wanted it to. Um, it, it turned out of necessity because I didn't want to stock shelves at Walmart, you know, and no offense to the Walmart community. I love Walmart and it's one of my favorite places, but you know, my passion is not in retail. My passion is in performing and I didn't want to take on a different job. Um, the, that, that period after Hollywood Arms was fun. You know, there were a lot of cool things, a lot of irons in the fire. And, uh, my favorite role that came out of that period was, uh, talk about being in an original production of an original play by Neil Simon that I auditioned for. 
and he was up there in age and this was this was his latest and would become his final final piece of work and i got the part and it was the lead and you know there was only one thing that excited me more about working with Hal Prince was working with Neil Simon because I I loved everything that I had ever read of his. I mean, mind you, I'm 15 or 14 or whatever, but I was obsessed with Neil Simon. I had every book, I had every script, I had every movie, you know, like I just, I was that kid who just was in love with, with his writing and his style. I just got it. You know, I got his sense of humor. I just, I understood it. In fact, when I did a thousand clowns, whoever the critic was, the times or whatever wrote, uh, whatever he wrote about me. And then he goes, he takes a page right out of the Neil Simon playbook. So that was already in my blood, I think, to, to understand Neil's way of writing. And so when I got this role, I was so elated that I was going to be the lead in a brand new Neil Simon play, you know, for the rest of, of all uh, history, you know, and it was really thrilling. And we were set to go to Broadway and we had the backers and everything was set and ready to go. And then Neil fell ill. And things sort of changed, you know, and uh, he lost interest in the project. And then he had a big falling out with one of the backers. And then the project got shelled indefinitely. Was Dilemma? Was that the name of that play? No. It was called Waiting for Papa. Oh, my God. Okay. And I, I have the script. I have it over here. I have it tucked away on my little shelf here. It is, it's Neil Simon at his best, you know. Anyway, so it was moments like this where I felt like my window was was closing because I'm getting older. I can't play this young, you know, middle-aged kid part anymore. And, you know, there is a strange black hole when you turn 14, yeah. 13, 14, 15, until you're like 21. Like there's not that many roles for that. You know, you'd think there'd be a lot of 18 year old parts, but there really aren't, you know, as much, at least I guess for me at that time. So there was this span of time where I just, I wasn't getting auditions and the ones I, that I was getting were getting well received, but then they just, it just wasn't panning out for one reason or another. And I found myself getting very depressed over it, going, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I thought, well, I, I need to keep moving and I don't want to, I don't want to take on a job, you know, doing something that I hate. So, well, I know I can sing in tune. Why don't I give that a go? And, uh, I called up a local drummer in Rhode Island and said, Hey, can you put me on a jazz gig? I'd like to, I'd like to sing. And he's like, sure. It pays a hundred bucks and you got to be on your feet for four hours. And you know, you, you get a meal and a drink. And I went, all right, at 15, what am I going to, I got a ginger ale, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I'll have a Shirley Temple, thanks. Uh, and I did, you know, but of course, with my theater history, I showed up singing Rodgers and Hammerstein and <laughs> Cy Coleman and calling all these very obscure, uh, you know, theater songs that I thought could be done in jazz. But that's kind of how that got started, and I fell into this little loop of uh, you know, into the, like the circuit, you know, into the into the New England circuit of working in Boston and Providence and Newport. And well, how do we get to Liza Minnelli? How do we get to opening for Liza Minnelli for a decade? How does that happen? <laughs> well, the Liza story actually starts a lot earlier. Um, I, I first met Liza when I was well, actually, when I was five years old. I went to see her in concert. My grandmother took me to see her, and apropos of nothing. She saw me in the front row in my little tux and my little bouquet of flowers, and she pulled me up out of the audience, and she sat me on her lap, and she sang a song to me in her director's chair, you know? And I thought my five-year-old self would just melt. I thought, well, that's the epitome of life. It can't get any better than that, you know? And then I would go on to meet her a couple other times throughout, uh, throughout you know, the years. Uh, Tom Selleck brought her as my opening night gift <laughs> for, for A Thousand Clowns. Uh, she was also in my dressing room waiting for me, and I went... God, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know? um, so that was thrilling to get to meet her there. And then I met her again uh, a couple times through some Michael Jackson uh, events when he was 
uh, making his comeback back in 2001. And, um, Uh-oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll just say he was quite lovely and, uh, and, uh, I'm very thankful to him for, for a lot of things. Actually, he, uh, he uh, he helped my family out greatly during September 11th. Actually, if it wasn't for him, I think we things might have been a little difficult. <laughs> things might have ended very very poorly. He changed my grandmother's flight. My grandmother was supposed to be on flight 11, and because of him calling her for needing her for a particular event, uh, it, he booked her out of LaGuardia instead, and out of, instead of out of Boston. And it was like one of those things where you go, oh, "Okay, Michael Jackson just saved my grandmother's life. Cool." This is the that is a wild story. Well, yeah. Okay. So thank you for that. <laughs> that is so easy. Okay. So Liza keeps kind of coming back okay. to your life and we are seeing Liza keeps popping up. You're best friends with Michael Jackson. And so <laughs> you're friends with now Liza Minnelli. No, I, I was a, a acquaintances with Michael and I have to say very, very loosely, but a very, very, um, very lovely man and uh, very, very kind. And, um, he was of course very good friends with Liza and, and then I kept, she just kept popping up, you know, like, like we said. And, um, one day, uh, my friend, Billy Gilman, the singer was asked to stop over this guy, David Guest, this man's, uh, girlfriend's house to drop off something that this producer, he wanted to sell, whatever auction thing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so we go to this guy's girlfriend's house. Well, his girlfriend is Liza Minnelli. And so we're sitting there and I'm going, oh my God, I'm in Liza Minnelli's house. And it's my grandmother, it's my friend Billy, and it's myself. And uh, Liza at this point now has dropped a lot of weight. She looks really good. She's trying to plan this comeback, but she still is having trouble hitting certain notes. And so my friend Billy says, well, you know, why don't you use Angela? She's, she's a great singer and a great vocal coach and she can help you, my grandmother. And so... Liza grabs my grandmother by the, you know, by the collar and says, come to the piano and help me. And my grandmother gave her a couple little tricks because my grandmother is a singer and vocal coach and vocal teacher. And it clicked with Liza and she got it. And she was starting to hit these notes that she didn't know were there anymore. And this was after she was told she would never sing or dance again, you know, or talk again. So Liza became enamored with my grandmother and her technique. And my grandmother became her vocal teacher uh, for, for a while. And so because of that, now, well, now there's just, you know, my grandmother would say, Hey, look, there's a party happening. I want you, you know, Liza wants you to come over and we'd pop over and Liza would make me get up and sing something and do something here or there. And so she got to know me. I got to know her. We were now in this position where now my grandmother is helping her with her comeback and we're all together now all the time. And we're at this album release party and we're at this opening night thing. And we're all together like this weird little family, you know? And, um, I remember one day I was home. I was about 11. And I was in my living room and about 10 o'clock at night, I get the phone call. Hi, baby. It's me. And <laughs> I said, hi, you know, uh, listen, baby, I'm going on the road in, in a couple months. To, I want, I want you to open for me. Will you be my opening act? And I thought, sure, but I don't, I, what's an opening act? You know, I didn't know what that was. And, um, so I hung up the phone and I got very nervous and I called my friend, Charlie Colello, the fabulous arranger who arranged for the four seasons and for a million people. And, uh, I called him up. I said, Charlie, I need charts. I sh Liza said, I need to bring my charts. And I don't know what that means. Can you help me? You know, this is the man who wrote sweet Caroline for Neil Diamond. And I said, I need, I need music. And he said, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll get it taken care of. And in about a month I had 20 minutes worth of material. And, uh, I would, I would go on and off with her on, on the road for, for about 10, 11 years, uh, whenever she needed an opening act. What was your most memorable experience of working with her? Is there a night or a concert or a show that like really is burned into your memory? Oh gosh. I mean, 
You mean when I was working with her? Yeah, I'm just I'm just fascinated by well, you know, kind of yeah. sharing the bill with Eliza Minnelli. Um, you know, I, I think every every I know this is such a cliche thing to say, and I, I almost hate myself in advance for saying it. But every night was so magical. There was something so different about every about every moment. You know, I mean, the woman is so brilliant, and her, her dedication to her craft is so deep and so profound that not a lot of people know that. They think of all just sequins and jazz hands, but they don't get that behind that, there's so much context and there's reasons for everything. There's a reason for a shoulder bump. There's a reason for for a wink. There's a reason for a head move. There's a reason for everything that she does. It makes so much sense, you know, and there's so much subtext. And uh, to, to stand in the wings night after night after night after night and watch that and watch how she would change. You know, she would change up her her little tricks and tactics every night, depending on the audience. And just to sit and watch it, I, I just, it was such an education. But I think my greatest feel-good moments were the nights when she would come and sit as an audience member in my show. Uh, you know, I mean, there were moments when I'd be at, I don't know, Don't Tell Mama, you know, and she'd come in with with like Tony Dan's on one arm and Gina Lola Brigida on the other arm and trucking on in and sit in the front row of the little brick room in the back of Don't Tell Mama and sit and, you know, hoot and holler and clap and whistle and stamp and, you know, that, that, those moments do something to you when you think, gosh, this is, this is really special. It feels you know? like once she lets people into the circle, they're real family and that oh, yeah. she'll do 100%. everything. Um, 100%. Where there's so much to learn from watching that kind of artist at work and we don't yeah. have legends like that really anymore. I mean, she's like, no, you know, she's a star. I mean, she's a real star. You know, we don't, we don't have many of that. I mean, she would sit with me for, for hours, you know, at the end of her bed, we'd sit with a pad and a, and a, and a pen and she would come up with song, with shows for me. So that those first shows I did at Don't Tell Mama when I was 11 and 12, she directed, oh she directed every single show I did from the time I was about 12 to the time I was about 20, 2021, 20, you know, it's so fascinating. Uh, you and she never wanted any credit. She never wanted any credit for well, it. We'll give her the credit now. Um, but I give it to her now, you know. I saw you do her birthday celebration that my buddy Frank hosted, which is why I, I yeah. loved it. And you were so great and you had such lovely stories and you've performed with her, you know, singing with Liza Minnelli. And I'm sure that experience just feels so special because so many, how many people can say that, you know, that they would duet with Liza Minnelli and have all these great stories go ahead. Well, it, it does. It, it's, it's like a pinch me thing. Cause you know, I, I, I live in those moments, you know, or when I'm, you know, sitting on stage with her performing or when we're just hanging out laying on the bed, eating, you know, Chinese food, I'm taken back to those moments when I'm like, you know, four years old singing ring them bells in my little sunken living room on Crestview drive in Westerly, Rhode Island. And I'm thinking, is, is this real? You know, I mean, it's, could this, you know, it's, it's a real pinch me moment. Um, you know, it's, but it's, it just, it's, it's very special. And I, I, I don't take it for granted by any means. And, uh, I, I really value and treasure, uh, the friendship, you know, that, that I was able to, I'm able to have with her. Are you still in contact with her? You know, not, not very much. I mean, I am here and there, uh, you know, she, she lives out in Los Angeles. I try to stay in touch with her as much as I can. You know, I, I, I reached out to her a couple months ago when I was out in LA. I didn't want to see her obviously because of COVID. So I dropped off some flowers to her and she loved them and the whole thing. So it's, you know, we, we, we stay in touch as much as we can in these days, but she is, yeah. 
I'm sure will, you know, live on forever because you will have these stories and the things you're saving and the things you're sharing. But I'm sure there, there's so, there's so many things that you could be telling us. But I do think before we move on to talk about your records and close out this episode, I do think there is, you know, Liza has such a, her personal life has been, you know, so in the tabloids and her, you know, ups and downs and all of that. What don't you, what do you think people don't know about her that you know? I don't think people realize how smart she is. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't just mean that good and not be so smart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I think people see, again, they see the sequins and they see the, the, you know, they see all the, the red and all that. And they think they don't, they don't really put it together, but you know, her, her dedication to her craft, you know, her, her knowledge. I mean, you have to remember too. I mean, I, I have to remind myself of this too, that she, she comes from not just a mother who was a genius, but her, she also comes from a genius father who had such a vision. I mean, the, Vincent Minnelli created some of the most beautiful images in American cinematic history. I mean, his vision, the, his use of color, his use of of the camera, his use of you know of close-ups. I mean, everything he did, his lighting was just so with purpose. And I feel like you can't come out of two human beings without having some of that. You know what I'm saying? You you have to have that yourself. And, you know, I just think not a lot of people recognize how smart she is. And also I have to say how generous she is. You know, she is, she is one of the most giving people that I've ever met. I mean, she, she is relentlessly cheerful to her fans. She gives her time. She gives of her resources, you know, um, she is just one of those people who is probably one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. I love all of it. So you have three amazing albums that are streaming on all the music platforms. Is there more than three? No, I, amazing is the is the relative term. But <laughs> oh, good. I mean, I honestly listen to all of them. Your voice is amazing. Oh. You're honestly, and your arrangements are great. It's so good. But you have a new album called Act One that you just recently released. Tell the people what they should expect from that album because it's this amazing mix of you throughout your life. Uh, and I think it, it it's so great that that's out in the world. Yeah. So this, this record really started as, um, a project, uh, early last year because I had a very, very full 2020 schedule of concerts, like, like most people did. <laughs> and so I said, well, I really, I, I don't like the record 19 cause I'm too young uh-huh. and it's not a, you know, good representation of me now. And on another note is a terrific record, but it's mainly ballads. And I don't, that's, I want something peppy, you know? And, um, so I said, well, I don't know if I have time. Maybe I'll do like a little compilation. How about that? And so this little compilation turned into this bigger idea once the lockdown hit. And I found myself with loads of free time and just going through scrapbooks. And then I started to uncover all these recordings that I forgot that I had, you know, recordings that I forgot I made and, you know, just all these projects that just sort of, you know, escape your mind after a certain time. And um, this project got really it, be, it snowballed into a bigger thing. It snowballed into a 25th celebration, 25th year celebration of show business because this year marks 25 years that I'm working wow. officially. So uh, it includes recordings of when I'm little, uh, four and a half you know, years old, singing at one of my grandmother's shows up in the Balsams Hotel up in... <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Ooh, so new, really listen, it's so good. Oh, thanks, Mark. <laughs> uh, some new recordings, uh, recordings from some of my old records, recordings have never been released, and then some duets and some appearances. You have Norm Lewis um, and Jane Monahite on the album. It's, yes. It's really cool. And so, even Tom Selleck made his album debut on the record. Oh, my God. That is 
incredible. It's really so good. Everyone give it a listen. It's available everywhere. Download it, buy it, pay for it. Use your, <laughs> use your harder money and pay for it. Would you go do a Broadway show again? If that, you know, became an option? 100%. I mean, I think, I think the, the challenge that I face, which is something I will have to face for all time is the fact that I'm, I'm a shorter person, you know, I'm, I'm a little vertically challenged. So the roles that are available to people of our, I, I got of it. our dimensions tend to be, you know, when, when you see a breakdown, you know, I know I could play a leading man uh, in capability factor, but you know, you, you can't, you know, one wants to look at a five foot two yeah, <laughs> Jean I, Valjean, you know, it just I doesn't. After Eugene, I quit the business. So that is uh, <laughs> legitimately what happened. I was like, well, but, you, but you get it. You get it. It's, it's, yeah. And, and when you see these breakdowns, five, 10 and up, five, 10 and up, and you go, God, you know, this is what's well, not sexist or ageist, but it's heightest, <laughs> you know, it's, this is not swell. So, you know, I think I have a few hurdles to jump, but you know, I look at some of the, my favorite little guys of all time, people like Joel Gray and Sammy Davis Jr. and Ben Vereen. I mean, these people aren't giants, you know, but they're giants in the industry. And I feel like there's bound to be a role that has either not been written for me yet or is waiting for me to do. And as soon as it comes, I'm, I'm going to take it. No question. All right. We have to do obsessed. What are you obsessed with right now? You mean media wise? Anyway, any way that that hits you. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I've become very obsessed over the last few days since we just lost Jessica Walter. I've become very obsessed with Arrested Development and I've been watching that again and again. I mean, I, I can't handle it. And I'm very obsessed right now in my CD deck. Yes, I have a CD player because I'm a thousand and six years old uh, with the Ella Fitzgerald Joe Pass record All right. that my, my darling friend Marty Millett uh, recommend I listen to. I'd never heard it before. And it's just Ella and a guitarist. And it is, it is interpretation at its best. And I'm nuts about it. Right, I'm, I'm going nuts about check it. Check it out. My obsession is Ted Lasso available on Apple television. It is so good. And it's not, I haven't seen it yet. Tell you, if you were told me like, you're going to love this show. It's about, you know, playing football in England. You, I'd be like, not so much, but it is <laughs> fabulous. And, uh, everyone needs to check out Ted Lasso. All right. We have to do quick fire questions. Are you ready? Freddie. Okay. First audition song. <laughs> Johnny One Note. Great. First Broadway show you saw. Oh, it's very anticlimactic. Big. Oh, I know. know. Uh, listen, it was a real obsession of mine in, in my okay. teens. <laughs> Have you ever turned down a Broadway offer? No. Strangest fan interaction? <laughs> oh, without a doubt. I had this very, very elderly man one time come up to me. He had to be about a thousand and he had a, a veteran's hat on <clears throat> and I had just come off the stage and apropos of nothing, he gets very, very close to me with his finger and very close to my face. And the closer he gets, the closer he, you know, the more he gets. And he goes, you know, when I was in the war, we didn't know at the time the diseases we were carrying. And just like that, he just walks away and just leaves the room. And I looked at the drummer and went, what the hell was that about? And the drummer says, I don't know, but if I were you, I'd go take a bath. Yeah, take a bath and check for gonorrhea. Okay. Um, <laughs> artist you would like to work with that you haven't? Well, I think Barbara Streisand might be kind of nice, you know. But you've met her. I've seen a photo with you. And I have. I have met her, and she's a she's an absolute sweetheart. But I mean, but uh, to work with her would be a you total would. joy. What is uh, your favorite song that your grandmother sings? Oh, well, I think uh, she does a fabulous version of, of uh, The Hungry Years by Neil Sedaka. But if I want to dance, I, I, I put on her. She had a, a hit back in the 70s with Baby, I'm Yours. I, so that's I, the one that I would it, listen to. It's that's like, one of my favorites. I asked my mother. She knew exactly what it was. 
was because did she? <laughs> I did. my mom's a yeah. disco queen. If you're listening, yeah. hi, Denise. Okay, hi Denise. Um, okay, who's your number one favorite Broadway leading man to see in something? Well, I love Norm Lewis. Isn't I think he Norm great? Lewis is just fabulous. Yes. I mean, there's nothing he there's nothing he can't do. Okay, what role should Patty Lapone play in Beauty and the Beast? Not Mrs. Potts. <laughs> you have to cast her. Oh, geez. Uh, she'd make a great Cogsworth. Oh, my God. Yes. Why not? I'd pay full price to see that. Can you name two real housewives? <laughs> I can, only because I've just bumped into them two weeks ago down in Florida. Countess Luann. Have you worked with her? No, I've not worked with her. But uh, uh, but uh, I know a lot of people who have. And um, and Ramona Singer. God. I ran into the both of them within within a week of each other down in, down in Palm Beach at oh, different God. places. It was um, very funny. Do you do a Liza impression? <laughs> I used to. <laughs> I don't do it anymore since the voice changed. I don't I do not do it. But much. when you were but a that, kid, you did it? When I was a kid, I did it, and I'll send you a clip of it. There's a clip of me on the unaired pilot of Liza and David for VH1, of Liza in my living room and me doing an impression of her in front of her. Okay, I need, It's very I, interesting. I desperately need that. Um, <laughs> if you can go back- She was in, a good sport. I'm she sure. If sport. you can go back in time and see any Broadway show in the history of Broadway, what would it be? Probably the first gypsy. Yeah. Um, who makes you starstruck? Okay. Funnily enough, I don't get starstruck. I've gotten starstruck one time in my entire life so far, and it was with Fran Drescher. <laughs> and I'm I'm embarrassed that it was <laughs> that no it was, no I'm not actually, I'm not embarrassed but I just I, I'm I am I don't know whether to be embarrassed or proud of it. No, be but proud. I love. I love The Nanny. It's my favorite television show of all time. And I met her on her Cancer Schmancer cruise two years ago. And I just about turned into a stone. I just, I shook her hand and I went, it's very nice to meet you. <laughs> and that's it. I had nothing. Well, I had nothing to tell From all her. accounts, she's the loveliest person that yes. works in the business. So next time, I don't know, ask her to sing The Nanny theme song with you. Gosh. Uh, have you ever seen a ghost? No. What musical are you okay with never seeing again? Oh, I don't want to say that. That's so. That's it's fine. It's, it's Godspell. Um, okay. What is your favorite quarantine TV binge? The Crown. I just got into that, so and good. it's fabulous. And I can't wait for season. What is it? Five. Five, I guess. And then that, that's Gosh. supposed to be it, but now there might be more. So well, with, with what's going on? With what's going on, there better be. Have you ever left a show at intermission? Yes. What show would you like to do on Broadway <laughs> if you could pick anything? I'd love to be Jack Kelly and Newsies. Oh that'd my be, God. That'd be a lot of fun. What movie can you watch over and over again? What's up doc? Oh my God. It's so good. I'm obsessed with it. I can quote it. You do not want to watch it with me because I'm one of those people who quotes the whole thing. It's a great and I, movie. and I hate myself that I do that, but it's I can't fine. enjoy it. It's a, you it's can't a watch Valley of the Dolls with me for the exact same reason. <laughs> and uh, what advice do you have for young performers? Uh, always stay curious. That's Always awesome. stay curious and and uh, never be the smartest person in the room. Because if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong, wrong room. room. Nicholas King, you are a delight. Tell the people where they can follow you and find out what you're up to. Well, I live right down the... Oh, wait. Oh, you mean on the socials? Don't go to your house. Okay. No, please don't do that. Uh, I'm on Instagram at it's Nicholas King, I-T-S, Nicholas King. Nicholas has no, no H. H. Nicholas with no H because H's are ill. Um, thank you, Jimmy Fallon for that. Uh, and I'm on Facebook as well. And I'm on all the places on the YouTube, on uh, Amazon music, Apple music, iTunes, all the places you can find people. You'll find me. Well, Nicholas, we can't wait to see you back on stage when the world reopens, which is hopefully happening sooner than later. You are so incredible. Thank you for sharing your Broadway story with me today. I hope you all loved it as much as I did. And uh, we'll be back next week 
or maybe I'm off next week. We'll see. But uh, remember to follow <laughs> us at Little Me Podcast. And uh, thank you all for listening. And thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, Mark. Bye, everyone. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network, and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash littleme. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at ThatTuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.